I know that you are going to be blessed tonight, and you know how we love to welcome men of God here at North Point Community Church. Come on, get on your feet and welcome my friend, Pastor Sean Rainey. Man, thank you guys so much. Man, what an incredible introduction, man. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Man, I, I tell you, it's such an honor to stand here in this pulpit tonight. And uh, as Pastor Philip mentioned, we've been friends for a long time. We served in this same community together. And uh, man, I've just been a fan of your pastor for many, many years. And uh, I love that he's a part of my life. I love meeting with him. Uh, my in-laws, I'm, uh, my wife is from Houghton. And so uh, I get to come back in this area quite often. And uh, whenever we're in town on a Sunday, uh, this is my home church that I get to come to. I've snuck in here a couple times. So it's good to be at my home church uh, tonight with you guys. So I'm just going to make myself at home. Uh, my wife and my family couldn't be here with us, uh, with me tonight. Um, I've got two boys, 10 and 5. Their names are Mason and Bryson, and uh, my wife, Amy. And uh, man, I'm a blessed man to have this family. And uh, my boys are praying for you tonight, right now. I've asked them to pray. Anytime that I get to go and speak, uh, I want them to be praying. And so they're praying for you right now and praying for us right here as we're in this church. I want to just dive into the message tonight uh, really quickly because I believe that God has a word for us tonight. Uh, I I really see that in this past year of my life, I'm going to kind of get into where I'm at. And as as Pastor Philip mentioned, kind of moving around different places and, and what God has in my life. Um, I want to talk to you tonight about thriving in your wilderness, thriving in your wilderness. Maybe another title we could, t- we could say tonight is thriving in obscurity, and I want to talk to you about what that means tonight. See, everybody wants to be on the mountaintop, right? Everybody wants that mountaintop experience, but it's in the valley that we earn the right to stand on the mountaintops. It's how you respond in that valley, how you respond when God says no, how you respond when God says not yet, not right now, it's time for you to wait. How are you going to respond when you don't get the prayer answered the way that you had hoped that prayer would be answered? So we all have a vision for our lives, right? We've all got this grand scheme and this grand plan. And sometimes, sometimes life throws us curveballs. Sometimes we go through the suffering and we go through the struggles. And, and, and sometimes Christianity would have you believe that it's supposed to be suffering free. And that is not in our Bible. The what is in our Bible is that when you face hard times, he will be with you. When you go through trials, when you go through struggles, because they're going to come, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when you face your wilderness, when you find yourself in obscurity, he's never going to forsake you. And he's never, ever going to leave you. We see that God is still a God of victory, no matter what we face. He was still God when Moses was in his wilderness. He was still God when, when we find at different seasons of our lives that we don't have the answers to the questions that we can pray and sometimes yell out to God. I think oftentimes that we, we hesitate to ask God questions, but But even Jesus, hanging on the cross, said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And if Jesus can ask that, I believe that God is big enough and strong enough to handle our whys. He's big enough and strong enough to handle all of the questions because he is the answer to all the questions that we have. 
Tonight, I wanna talk to you about some lessons that I've learned through the wilderness. I've been in ministry for about 18 years, as, as Pastor Philip mentioned to you guys, and I found myself in, in Colorado. I'm born and raised in New Orleans, and so I still got a little bit of that residual accent in, in, my, in my vocal cords. They're a little bit raspy because I think Tabasco sauce burned them as a kid, eating it on everything. And so people always ask, how do you get that voice? I said, man, don't eat Tabasco sauce. This is what will happen to your voice. I've been talking like this since I was five years old, and uh, it was crazy. It was pretty wild, man. But we moved to Colorado, we did youth ministry, and then God showed us this city that had no spirit-filled church, no Assemblies of God church, and we felt like God was calling us to establish a work there, a life-giving church, and we did that uh, for about five years. And then we came to a point where, where God spoke to us to, to hand over our church to our associate pastor. Now, that was a tough day. Because I'm telling you, man, we had worked hard and we had put a lot of hours, blood, sweat, tears, lots of tears, lots of blood, and uh, set up and tear down and more blood and more tears, and all those things. And, and, and we were at a place, not of burnout, but we were at a place where we were saying, God, what is going to happen in the next step for this church? What do you want from us? We felt this stirring and this move to do something that was pretty radical, to walk away from something that God had had us to birth and to dream and to plan. And we didn't know, we, we felt like God was, was, was not giving us answers. It's like, God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? And it seemed like there was just silence. And, and, and we didn't understand. It was like he was calling us into a hiddenness. He was calling us into a life of anonymity for a while. He was calling us into the obscurity and into a wilderness season, and I didn't understand it. Matter of fact, I thought I was being punished. I thought I didn't do something right. Maybe I didn't pray hard enough. Our church wasn't a large church, but in that area, a very unchurched area, we had about 90 or 100 people, and man, that was a very healthy church for that area, and I thought, God, maybe we're not big enough, and so I'm being punished for this, and the devil began to play tricks on my mind. Maybe, maybe we're not good enough to do this. Maybe my marriage is not strong enough to, to last through this, and boy, the enemy came in with all these doubts, and still there's just silence from God. All we knew was God said to step out. We sold our home. We resigned the church. We, we helped it transition. It was a very healthy transition. We, it, we were under district supervision, so it was all done well and right, and we were celebrated as we left. We cried on their necks like, like the apostle Paul did in the Bible, and, and, and man, it was hard to walk away, and we went into a year, this last year, and actually about a year and five months of no titles, no ministry necessarily that I was in charge of. Literally, God said, I want you to rest and I want to recalibrate and I want you to abide. One word, abide. And that word, I didn't even know in that moment what the depth of that word. We're, we're literally on month 15. In just like 30 days, we're leaving to go back to Colorado, and I'll share a little bit more about that. So we're kind of on the end of this season, and so uh, not to say that I have learned everything, but I want to share with you just a few things that I've learned from this season of obscurity, this season of thriving in my wilderness. I could have complained. I could have grumbled. I could have whined. I could have sulked. I could have sat stagnant and not grown 
but I learned to thrive. My wife learned to thrive in our wilderness. And I'm telling you tonight, some of you need to thrive in the wilderness that you find yourselves in. Exodus chapter 20 is our text tonight, Exodus chapter 20. Moses has led the people out of, the, out of bondage in Egypt and they find themselves walking through the wilderness and they've crossed the Red Sea, they've experienced some miracles, they've sang songs and, and they've worried that maybe they, they, they left too soon, they longed for the, the, the time back when life was a little bit easy, even though they were in bondage and, and things were having to trust in God and faith and God is calling Moses up to the mountaintop to give him the law, but we find God in a, in a pretty obscure place. We find God where we don't expect him. Some translations say the word darkness. I want to read this translation. It's from the Darby translation, Exodus chapter 20, verse 20 and 22. Moses said to the people, fear not, for God has come to you to prove you or to test you that the fear of him may be before you. How many of you know that God sometimes does test us? He doesn't tempt us. He doesn't put temptations on us. But there is a testing or a proving time in our lives, in our ministry, and in our families. God is giving out the law, and he's testing them through this, that they may not sin. Verse 21, it says, And the people stood afar off, listen to this, and Moses drew near into the obscure, up to the obscurity where God was. Moses drew near into the darkness, into the clouds, into the obscurity where God was and Jehovah spoke to Moses. In my season of what man may call obscurity or hiddenness or anonymity, God called it an opportunity to sit with him and just learn to sit with him and soak it in, to, for him to give me the law or the guidelines for my life, for my marriage, for my ministry, to sit with me that Jehovah may speak with me. He spoke to Moses, draw near into the obscurity where God was. What we see as an obscurity, God sees as an opportunity. What oftentimes seems like a detour has actually been the path all along. Think about it in scripture, David with the sheep in the backside of his wilderness, honing his skills with the slingshot, with the bear, with the lion, attacking him with his bare hands, waiting for his moment so that he may slay his giant. Moses in the wilderness alone, all before he led millions and millions of people. Through solitude, through solitude he learned how to be a leader. Jesus, 30 years of silence for only three years of ministry. If Jesus, if it's good enough for him, then it's good enough for me. We need to embrace the hidden times because there are many lessons to be learned. Embrace the obscurity. Embrace the wilderness moments. So what are those lessons? Number one, let's get into this. Number one, stillness is an action. Stillness is an action. I thought being still was being lazy. I thought being still was being, you know, just sitting on the sidelines or, or, or being benched. But I learned from Psalms 46.10 to be still and know that I am God. To be still and know that he's God. Stillness is an action. I don't know about you, but being still for me is hard work. When I was a little kid, my dad offered me $20. He put 20 bucks on the table. He said, if you can sit here with your hands on the table and your feet on the floor for just two minutes, I'll give you 20 bucks. I said, deal. I sat down 30 seconds later. I'm done. I can't do it. I couldn't do it. Now, some of you could sit there for four hours and never say a word, and some of you are just like me. 
For some of you men, stillness may come natural. It's okay to be quiet and, and, and you've, you've learned that to be good with God is sometimes the silence and, and, and the stillness, but I had to learn this. It's a learned act to be still. Being still is not easy. It is a tough thing. This word being still kind of comes into the word that God gave me to abide. The word simply to abide uh, means this, to obey, to follow, to observe, to stick to it, and to come alongside with. I love this quote. I came across this this year. It says, you and I have been called to a faithful, pursuing patience as we walk with God in what he is doing, in the ways in which he is doing it, and in the timing of which he chooses. Now, I don't like that quote, man. I want my way, my time, and what I want, God. Do it. God, I want your will, but do it my way in my time frame. That's usually our prayers, right? When I begin to pray that prayer, God, I want your will in your time and your way, things begin to get real, man. I want to challenge you being still. Being still is an action. Embrace the moment. Embrace the quietness. Embrace your time of wilderness so that you can grow from it. I love this quote, find purpose in your pauses. Find purpose in your pauses. I told you earlier, I thought that I was benched or I was sidelined or, or, or I had done something wrong. And then I was reminded of one of my favorite scriptures, Exodus chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. It says, Moses answered the people, don't be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Man, if there's ever been a life verse that you can just plaster on every wall in your house, this one is it. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. I was trying to do and do and do, and I'm trying to please God by my doing, and God just wanted me to please him by my being, by just being who he created me to be. I can't earn his love anymore. I can't earn his reward. Guess what? God loves me simply because I woke up this morning and I'm breathing tonight. That's it. Not for anything that I can do, not my talents, my abilities, my skills, my title. He loves Sean for who he is because he created me as his child. And we've got to get that in our soul, man. Be still and know that he's God. He's so keenly aware of your situation. Not only being still, is an action, but number two, obscurity and greatness are not opposites. Obscurity and greatness are not opposites. I thought to be great, man, you had to have maybe a spotlight or be known or be seen or, or all these things, but, but sometimes, most times, the best things that God has for us are done when no one's looking, when no one's around, when it's just you and him in the obscurity, in the darkness, in the cloud, where other people stand afar off because they were afraid to go, but you have the courage and boldness to push in a little further, a little bit deeper, and say, God, I'm willing to go where no one else will go. And when you're willing to go where no one else will go, God is gonna do for you what he'll do for no one else. It's time to understand this, that the obscurity and greatness are not opposites. Greatness is born in and through obscurity. Jesus spent 90% of his life hidden, 90%, 30 years. We don't know much about at all, a few little things here and there, and then three years of ministry. If he had to prepare that long, how much more should we prepare for the great ministry that God has for us? These seasons are holy 
and sacred. They're not failures and punishments. I don't know what you're facing or what struggle or storm or, or wilderness or hiddenness or anonymity or, 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 or this obscurity that you may find yourself in today, but they're holy and they're sacred and they're necessary for God to whisper to us, for him to speak to us as Jehovah spoke with Moses. It's better, I love this, Thomas Akempis said this quote, it is better for a man to be obscure and attend to his salvation than to neglect it and work miracles. We can work miracles and all this and, and stand upon this platform and, and play music and show a big show, but, but what God's more concerned about is what we are in our hearts. Tend to your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Greatness and obscurity are not opposites. They're partners. And a lot of times, really, to, to become great, we have to go through struggle. It's like working out or, or running. I love to run. I do triathlons. I love doing those, and, and they're great. There's a great one here in Shreveport called the River City Tri. I loved it, man, and, and, and man, that's a great one. And I remember my first big race, and I trained hard, man. I mean, I really put in the work, and, and guess what? It paid off. I was able to complete my very first triathlon. I used to weigh about 70 pounds heavier than what I am right now. And that's pretty big dude for a short guy like me, man. And, and, and I, I got into it. And, and, but I, I knew this. I knew that it took some pain. It took some suffering. It took some resistance. It took some straining to get the results that I wanted to get. And we're praying prayers like, God, use me, but we're not living and willing enough to go through the struggle and the pain that God has for us sometimes to go through. We want to be used mightily. We want to be seen in the spotlight, but God wants us to go through the lessons and learn the lessons in the stillness, in the quietness, in the obscurity. The struggle and the strain is what makes us great. Stop pushing against the struggle. We say prayers like, boy, the enemy is just, just attacking me. Maybe it's God just putting a little bit resistance training on you so that you can become stronger to face the next battle that he has from you. Stop giving credit to the enemy. Maybe it's God saying, hey, you can put on one more plate. I think you got two more reps in that. Let's get it up a little bit more. You can go one more mile. Let's just run a little bit faster. And you're like, get behind me, devil. And God's like, I'm the one telling you to do this. Stop giving credit to the enemy and start seeing some of our struggles, some of our strains as, man, just testing ground and lessons from God. Number three, we're going to roll through these here. Detours, the detours were always part of the plan. What we see as detours and exits and getting off course is God, I believe, sitting back going, this is a whole part of the great big plan that I have for your life. If God orders our steps, like the Bible says, I believe he also orders our stops. He orders the pauses in our life. He orders the detours. Who are we to think that with one decision that, that we can totally wreck God's plan for our life? Guess what? God wants you in his will more than you want to be in his will. And he's going to help you. He's going to guide you. Sure, we could sin and, and throw it all away and, and, and choose to go our own course because God's given us that free will. But God's plan is to help navigate us and push us and guide us and lead us into his plan. His plan's not some tightrope that we have to walk on worried. If we make one wrong choice, we fall to our death. 
No, it's God's will that we walk in step with him. And as we step, he leads and he guides and he nudges and he moves and he leads us. God wants us in his will more than we want to be in his will. The detours were always part of the plan. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Let God establish those steps for you. What can we learn through the season that will prepare you for the next season that God has for you? Man, we don't ask that question enough. God, what can I learn from this pain? What can I learn from this obscurity? What can I learn from this 15 months of, of, of not really leading a congregation or not, not ministering or, or doing these things? God has shown me that he loves me for who I am, not for what I do. I love this quote. I've said this over and over in my life, that God never wastes pain. Man, I've seen some people walk through some pretty painful things. One of my best friends lost his little girl to cancer. My other best friend lost his wife, kissed her goodbye one morning. Came, she had a seizure and died, and he's raising three little girls by himself and walking through pain. But I know this, that God never wastes the pain that we face in our lives. We can blame God. We can sit back and curse him and blame him and, and, and mope and complain, why, woe is me, or we can say, God, I'm gonna going to use this. It's not going to be an obstacle, but it's going to be a stepping stone to get closer to you. I love what Psalms 57 says. It says, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. It's our job to be faithful. It's his job to be fruitful. Man, I prayed that prayer backwards most of my life. God, I want to just bear fruit for you. And, and we know the scripture talks about bearing fruit, but, but I was trying to grow that church by myself. I was trying to, to do things. I was trying to accomplish his will on my own power. And I was trying to be fruitful. And all God wanted for me to be was obedient and to be faithful to the task that he called me to do. Success in God's kingdom is just obedience. For some, he's called to lead great congregations. Others, he's called to lead great multi-million dollar businesses. Others, he's called to just live this life, the daily basic of maybe you're doing this in life or having this kids and going to school and going to work. And it feels like mundane, mundane, average Joe life. And God goes, but that's where I want you because you're reaching so many people that no one would ever have a chance to reach. And we're complaining about our situation. God, woe is me. God, why don't I have this money? Why don't I have this church? Why don't I have these things? And God says, I have you exactly where I want you. These are things that are not just easily done. These are things that we have to learn over and over and over. It's one thing to say them. It's another thing to do them. Number four, number four, one of my favorite is the process is more important than the destination. What man considers the process, God considers the goal. What is God trying to get in you and out of you is way more important than what God can get from you. We gotta hear that. What God's trying to get in you and the impurities out of you is way more important than what he can get from you, what ministry or what gifting that you may provide to this church. God's more concerned with the process. That, that word we use, it's a big word called sanctification. It's called being made more like Christ each and every single day. Salvation is instant, but this process, this sanctification takes time. I've learned to, to go slowly. I, I've learned to not rush it. We can't rush the process. 
I love making coffee, like good coffee, like good brewed coffee. My wife bought me this little Chemex for uh, my birthday. If you know what that is, man, I, I weigh out the beans and I grind them and I got this timer on my phone and boy, the temperature is just the right in my little kettle, my little gooseneck kettle, you know, and you just pour it right, let the grinds bloom. Man, I'm talking somebody's love language right now, but I'm getting all excited about coffee right now in God's house, man, but I didn't know. I used to love coffee, but I didn't know that I loved the process of making coffee, and it's a lot harder and takes a lot more time than just flipping a little switch or pouring a pack of Via in some boiling water and stirring it up. And sometimes we want that via Christianity, but God wants that Chemex. God wants that process. God wants to bloom and to get things out of us and to get that good flavor so we can become a pleasing aroma in his sight, in his nostrils, and in his mouth. Is your life pleasing to him? If it's not, then I would check your process. It's time to slow it down. I've learned to enjoy the process. What is God trying to teach me in this? I love this quote, life is not a destination that we can be diverted, but life is a journey made up of paths and summits and valleys, and it's our job to find purpose, joy, and happiness in each and every season. If you've got kids, man, you know that you go through a lot of different seasons, that newborn phase, and when life is, oh man, all up and down, and then that terrible two stage, and and then we're kind of entered into this new amazing potty train, no pooping in the pants and peeing in the bed, five-year-old stage, man. We're like, we're like rolling. We got a 10-year-old. He's almost driving. And then we got this five-year-old, man. I told Amy that night, I'm like, we could go out on a date and leave them here if we just put on Netflix and lock the door. I mean, it should be all right. She's like, I don't know. We in Alabama, they may call the cops on us, but we're almost there. And then there's many other seasons that we're going to enjoy later in life. And, and we know that so many times what happens, we want to rush that season. We just want to get through it, man. Just I wish they wouldn't cry all night. I wish they wouldn't poo their pants. I wish they wouldn't do this and all these things. And then now that they're older, you wives or moms be like, man, I missed that baby stage. And you may want another kid, you know, and get, get a puppy dog instead. They're a lot easier, but... Take joy in the different seasons that God has for you. Don't rush the process. The process is what's great. This process of Christianity and knowing him and being made more like him and making him known to this lost and dying world, that's what it's all about. The very last thing tonight, and we'll wrap this up, it's all about the long game. The long game. Man, I'm in it for the marathon. I'm not in it for the sprint. I'm in it for the whole four quarters, man. You know what I thought? God showed me this just really just the other day. I thought that my time at planting the church, it was called Connection Church, and my, my time there I thought was the beginning and the end of a game. And God showed me that it was just literally one series of downs on the great game that he has for my life. It was just one little part. I was so wrapped up in the moment, and I thought everything was in this moment until I got elevated high enough to be able to see the entire life from this end all the way to this end, and I realized this is only a temporary moment that God has for me to learn and to grow. And if I look backwards, I can see his faithfulness. 
He's always been faithful. He's never let me down. He's my provider. He's my savior. He's my king. And if I look forward, I can see God's got a vision and a plan for my life and my family and my ministry. And if I let this moment of obscurity cloud all of it, then I've missed the whole point. This moment of obscurity is just for God to grab my attention to whisper, I love you. You're mine. Not for what you do, but for who you are. Not for any title you'll ever possess or any church you'll ever lead or any platform you'll ever stand on but simply because you're mine. Man, when we get a hold of that, it changes everything. It's the long game. It's, it, it's what God desires. Don't get caught up in the moment. I was reading one of my devotions. I love Oswald Chambers, man. I could read him every day. <clears throat> he said this in one of his challenges. He said, do I, this was a question, do I fuss and fume over every inconvenience or do I consider the possibility that they were put there to slow me down and caused me to see something important that I would have missed. Man, that quote sums up the last 15 months of my life. To just slow me down enough that if I would have just kept going, I would have missed the moment. I would have missed the whisper. I would have missed the nudge that God had for me in my life. It's a marathon. Our motives, our calling, all of it is proven and tested during times of wilderness and anonymity and hiddenness, long obedience in the same direction. That's what God desires from us. The rest of the story is, as we mentioned, we're leaving in just 30 days. We're headed to, to Colorado. We're going to reopen a church that was actually closed down. This church was in existence for 60 years, and the pastor retired. They, like, they literally had church one Sunday, they locked the doors, and for two years, it sat vacant. The seats were still there. The offering buckets were still on the stage. Crazy. For two years, no one came. No one pastored. The congregation literally just disbanded and, and moved on. The building was paid off, completely debt-free. Now, it was in bad shape, but, but completely debt-free. The district called us and asked if we would be part of a team that would take on the challenge to go reopen this place. I believe that everything we went through for five years of that church plant prepared me for this moment to say yes. I believe that everything we've gotten to receive for 15 months of refreshing and recalibration and, and, and this hiddenness has refreshed us to be able to, to walk back into a life of faith and trust that literally not even knowing where the next step may land, but we're walking by the nudge of the Holy Spirit. We would have never been ready to do it if God, we didn't listen to him and obey him for this moment of obscurity. It's not gonna be easy, man. This place, like Pastor Philip mentioned, boy, it's not a very churched area. Now, we're gonna be in Colorado Springs. That's a little bit more churched than the Denver area, but where we're going is right next to a university. 15,000 students on that campus, tons of atheists, tons of agnostics, and we're reaching that campus. We hosted an event the other day at our church. It's not even opened yet. We're not even having services yet. We hosted an event that just literally was a question, can we still trust the Bible today? And 70 college students showed up for a discussion. And we talked about trusting God's word, how it's true and accurate and still applies today. We're hosting another question and answer coming up in February. And this is gonna be a scary one about human sexuality. Pray for us on that one, man. 
but we're a church that is gonna not run from the culture, we're gonna engage the culture. We're running into the cloud. We're running into the darkness where everybody's standing afar off going, I hope somebody reaches them. I hope somebody goes there. We're running to that cloud saying, God, we know that you're there and we know that you're gonna speak to us. What is God asking you to run to? What are you going through right now that's preparing you for that vision, for that, that exciting thing that God has called you to? It's gonna require faith. It's gonna require trust. And it's gonna require walking in step with him and submitting to the process. For us, this is a brand new church. We're going into it like another church plant. We've remodeled the building. We've put about $80,000 into the renovation of the building. It looks amazing, man. It's great. God has done some amazing things. We've seen miracles happen. We're having to raise our own salary to go in there because we don't have a congregation yet. So for one year, we're raising our first year's salary so that we can focus on growing that church. And then when we see God grow it, man, we're gonna be able to go on full-time staff. We're believing that God is gonna meet us in the obscurity because that's where God is. He's there. Your calling is redefined in the obscurity. These takeaways today, just as we kind of wrap this up, it's okay to be still, because in the quiet, he's there. Obscurity and greatness are not opposites. They work hand in hand. Detours, they're all part of his plan. God doesn't get all caught up in the wrong direction, man, the wrong exit. Oh, this road's blocked off. God sees the bigger picture. Fall in love with the process of serving God and be big picture focused. It's the long game. Watch this. I think oftentimes we don't want that struggle, right? We don't want that strain. I'm a bow hunter. I love to shoot bow and arrows. I love to hunt. I got to kill an elk in Colorado with my bow. It was crazy, man. It was, I'll show you a picture later if you want to see it. But, but a lot of times, man, when you practice shooting that bow over and over, you got to do the same thing over and over. One thing that I learned about that is, Man, it takes a lot to pull back. Some of those bows are about 70 pounds, and man, you got to pull that back, and it's a strain. And sometimes that's what our life feels like. It, it feels like with God that, that he's got a hard grip on us, and we don't know what's really happening. And, and it sometimes feels like he's pulling us, and there's a strain, and there's stress, and there's some, some creaking, right? There's, there's some pulling on us. And even sometimes for some of you, maybe you feel like you're going backwards, going backwards and you say, God, I didn't sign up for this. God, I, I thought life would be different. I did too, man. I thought I'd be in Connection Church forever. I, I really thought this was it. I'd be living in this house and doing this, but God saw the big picture and he had other plans and I'm sitting there, God, are we going backwards? I mean, man, what am I doing? I'm going to work a secular job. God, I'm going back to Alabama. I don't want to be in Alabama, man. I'm an LSU fan, and, and we're going backwards. Everything's backwards in Bama, and so, man, I mean, I, there's a strain, and I'm like, this is crazy. Then I had to submit to the process, and I'm like, all right, not all makes sense, but I'm going backwards, and there's tightness, and there's, and there's pulling, and strain, and I feel like I hit a wall, that thing is called a back wall. If you know about bow hunting, man, you hit that solid back wall. You're like, oh, this is a good bow, man. This is, and there's like a little let off. And, and, and you're holding it there for a while. And man, sometimes you begin to shake. You begin to shake from the pressure and, and the strain. And, and all this time, a long time, you think you're going backwards. But what's about to happen? God's about to release you into your destiny. 
He's about to release you, and you're about to hit the bullseye right into the destiny. But you've got to submit to the straining. You've got to submit to the back, going backwards. You've got to submit to the shaking, or else your destiny will never be achieved. So many of us quit right before, right in the middle of the process. And God says, I want the destiny for you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight. How will you respond to the wilderness? Will you learn the lessons? Will you apply them? What are you fighting against right now that, that maybe God is just wanting you to slow down and listen? You may be in the obscurity. You may feel in the hiddenness. You may feel like, like I felt, like I've done something wrong or I failed. It's not a failure. These are sacred moments. God has you here. Don't rush it. And don't waste the moment and pass up the opportunity. I want to just pray for you tonight. And I want to turn it over to your pastor. Dear God, I pray in this holy moment that there's some in this room that they were about to give up. They felt like you had forsaken them. They felt like they're alone. You've been silent and you didn't know. Lord, they feel like they were in this obscurity, but God let them know that you're there. You're in the obscurity. You're ready to speak to them like you spoke to Moses. God, someone in this room may feel like, like there's a strain, there's a stress, and they're shaking under the pressure and they're going backwards and, and, and they're not willing to submit to the process, but I pray that they would see it. They would see it now, God, that, that their destiny is just before them, that you're about to release them like you're releasing us. You're about to release them into their future, into their destiny. God, their, their, their momentary struggle, Lord, will pale in comparison to what you have in store for them, God. Let them open their eyes and see it tonight. Let them realize tonight, right here on a Wednesday night in Bossier City, Lord God, when everything is going crazy with holidays and family and work and stress, and, and yet we, we come to this place and we worship you, God, and we hear this word, these lessons to be learned. Now let us apply them, God. The process, the stillness, the greatness, the obscurity, you're there. You're speaking to us. You're never going to waste the pain that we feel. It's a moment to learn, God. Let us find purpose in our pause. We thank you, Jesus, for the destinies that you have before us. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give God a hand clap of praise tonight. Can we give Sean a great round of applause?